Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. Either this weekend or next weekend, but this Sunday right now or next Sunday is our last Look for the Good message. So we've been in this series called Look for the Good, where each week we take a particular um, characteristic of just life and we say, let's look for the good in that. We've looked for the good in persecution. We've looked for the good in loyalty, etc. Today, we're looking for the good. Where's the good to be found? In weakness. We're looking for the good in weakness. Um, and like, he's the first picture that comes up in Google when I type in weak. So thank you, sir, for that. But what it comes into your mind, either a visual or a definition or an example when you think of weakness, when you think of being weak, what comes into your mind? Yes, sir. A lack of strength. Lack of strength. Absolutely. Somebody's been reading their dictionary. What else? Downfall. Downfall. Tell me a little bit more about that, Paul. Um, something that maybe takes you out? Yeah, maybe you lack in a certain area or something. Yeah, so if you're lacking something like strength or something else, um, it can take you down. Like a result of weakness is... You get taken down. I used the illustration last service. My son, he's four. Compared to other four-year-olds, he's jacked. Like, if you've ever seen Wyatt with his shirt off, he's just muscle. I'm, like, scared of what's going to happen when he hits puberty. When he's 18, I'm just going to be like, go to your room, please. Right? (laughs) So that's my son. But today, at four and 40, I could take him. Like, I could probably take him. What else? I saw a hand over here. You what? You can't even carry five pounds. Yeah, that picture of that guy, like, I wonder, right? I woke up this morning at 4.30 because my, my daughter snuck into bed and, like, donkey kicked me. And I couldn't go back to sleep because I'm like, my face. And so I'm 4.30 in the morning. I'm watching the Olympics. And I'm watching these little girls, like, under five feet tall from all over the world at the Olympics, and they're, they're less than 100 pounds, and they're lifting 220 from the floor. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I look at that guy, and I'm like, you would die. So what else? What comes in your mind, or what's the definition of weakness? To be susceptible to temptation. I like it, the churchy answer I was looking for. All right, let's look at some definitions as according to Merriam-Webster. And was that up there the whole time? Maybe it looks stupid. All right, weakness is a lack of strength. Sam said it perfectly, and I like that definition because I think, okay, I'm weak, and I just don't even have, I'm not strong. It's not that. It's a lack of strength, which means there's strength available to be had, and I'm just lacking it. I can go get it. Second definition, something very difficult to resist. Think about that. Think about your life. You got something in your life that's just really difficult to resist? It could be good or bad. A self-indulgent liking or special fondness as for a particular thing. I like that self-indulgent, right, when I think of weakness, because isn't that what we're talking about? Like, to be weak is to be weak in an area that maybe um, if you're strong in it, but it, like, it's self-indulgent. Like, I don't want to be stronger in things that are selfish. I want to be stronger in things that are selfless, but... Our working definitions for the morning for weakness are a lack of strength, which means there's strength out there to be found, or something really difficult to resist, okay? Okay, good. All right. Now, weakness. Nobody likes to admit that they're weak. 
And I, I say that hesitantly because I don't know if, you know, we're different generation. It's just a fact. But I don't know if in your generation it is now socially, politically, whatever, acceptable to be proud of the fact that, that you're weak in some area. And frankly, uh, pride's not the best word, but it is a strength to admit you're weak. But my generation, the John Wayne generation, I was on the tail end of that. Um, you know, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it alone. Everything's going to be fine. And even as a child, I recognized watching those movies with John McClane or John Wayne. I'm just like, that's awesome that they can go do that. But dude, you're so lonely. When, when you die or fall down the elevator shaft, like nobody knows where you are. You're all alone. I don't really like that idea of strength. I think strength is this, togetherness, right? But um, weakness is something we don't like to admit. I think in the flesh we don't like to, but nobody likes to admit when they're hurt. Nobody likes to admit when they're in pain. Nobody likes to admit when they need help. And that in itself is weakness. If you know that you need help and refuse to ask for it, like, who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself. So that's weakness. To know you need help and not ask for it is weakness. Uh, makes me think of a quote from Jason Shepard, the guy who hired me. Uh, Jason told me once, the Woodlands, and I would expand that to like our area, Woodland, uh, Montgomery, Harris County, the spring area. The Woodlands is one of the hardest places to share the gospel on the planet. And Jason's been doing it a long time, and Jason's been doing it all over the place. And for him to say that, and I respect his opinion, the Woodlands, Montgomery County, the spring area, is one of the hardest places to share the gospel. And I remember when he said that, I said, why? Why do you say that? And he says this, because no one in this area likes to admit or will admit that they need anything. Think about it. That's true, isn't it? We don't like to admit we need anything. I look at our neighborhoods, and it's just beautiful houses and manicured lawns for the most part. But take it down a level. Who went to sleep last night and didn't get to eat yesterday? Nobody, I, I bet. Who had to sleep outside yesterday? Who doesn't have somebody in their life that loves them? Who had to get on a raft yesterday and flee their home under threat of death and is in a foreign land now where they know no one? I would wager not many of us. Um, the Woodlands, this area, is one of the hardest places to share the gospel because nobody will admit they need anything. Everywhere I look, it's just, oh, everything's fine. There's nothing wrong here. Life is great. I don't need anything. Why? Why do you say that? Well, because I got this house, and uh, I got this car, and I got some people that you know, kind of know me, and my, my parents are going to leave me money when they're dead. Like We just feel like we are fine because we have stuff. And so we won't admit that, you know, desperately inside, like, we need a lot. I need a lot. I grew up, and I, my family was one of the richest families in our neighborhood. But then alcoholism got the best of my dad, and we lost everything. And I realized, even when we had that stuff, that I, was, I needed things. It wasn't the house. It wasn't the car. It wasn't my college education that should have been paid for that I missed at that point. It was having a family that loved me and cared about me and noticed when I was gone. Um, I needed those things even when I was living in that house. We all have needs and wants, whether we'll admit it or not. And it makes me think of a story, right? When I was 12, 13 years old, um, I was playing hide-and-seek, right? You guys know hide-and-seek. Everybody loves hide-and-seek. I was playing hide-and-seek, and I was in the yard behind mine, right? It was in the house behind our house. This guy had a boat, and the boat was on a trailer, big boat. And so I'm hiding underneath this boat toward the back, and I hear somebody coming. 
So I jump, like I leap up to see real, because I'm like amped up. I'm like, I'm going to win, hide and seek. And I jump up to see if anybody's coming, and I smash my head into the boat motor's propeller, and I knew I was under the propeller, because I think I remember that I was like, you know, playing with it while I was waiting, and I jumped up, and my head just goes, pow, like all my strength, like somebody's going, oh, God, I'm on the ground. I see stars. I feel nauseous. And it was one of those things, I don't understand why I didn't just bleed out right there, but you know when you hit yourself so hard and it doesn't actually break the skin, it like dents it? That's what happened. There wasn't just a dent in my skull flesh, but like the bone of my head felt dented. And I was like, that was bad. And I could feel like within seconds, just like, boop, like a cartoon. But I popped up, I hit my head, but no, nobody was coming. So I was like, well, I know I'm hurt, but... I'm not giving up this great hiding spot underneath the sharp boat motor. So I stayed there, and I, I won. But my friends, they see me a little later, and I'm like, you know, this, and I'm grimacing, and they're like, there's like something growing on your, that's not right. And I'm like, what did I say? I, I hurt myself. Let's take me to see. I said, I'm fine. Let's play again. And they're just like, you're hemorrhaging, and you're going to die. I'm fine. Let's keep, you ever been hurt? And said, oh, I'm fine. Sure you have. It's a story for another time. I've got a good story for you. All right. So I said, I'm fine. I go home later that evening, sitting at the dinner table. And um, I was going out of my I mean, we're at the dinner table, but, like, my family's a little distracted. But I was, like, going out of my way to, like, just look at people like they couldn't see the back of my head. My mom was like, you're acting weird. Are you okay? What did I say? I'm fine. I'm fine. I go to bed that night. And I intentionally wouldn't look at myself in the mirror because I knew that I would see something that would freak me out. Even to myself, I was lying and saying, oh, I'm fine. I was just like going to bed. Okay. So I go to bed and I say I'm fine. And I was not fine. I was hurt. My brain was throbbing. I had a goose egg. It was painful. It never stopped hurting the whole afternoon. Well, I go to bed and I lay down and I go to sleep. And several hours later, I think it was 2, 3 in the morning, I woke up, and I was dizzy and nauseous, and my head was throbbing. I could understand my head throbbing, but I didn't understand why I was dizzy and nauseous until I realized I was in a pool of blood because that dent had busted open as my brain expanded from the trauma of that boat motor, and I was bleeding like a stuck pig, and your skull bleeds a lot, and I was so bled out that I was dizzy, right? It was not pleasant. I hope that's not making anybody ill. We'll just move on from there. But I finally went downstairs like, I'm like, mom. And she's just like, ah, like, like, get the gun. There's somebody stabbed him in the brain. And I told her, I was like, I hit my head and she's just like, she's like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I was fine. Emergency room, stitches, everything. Somebody asked me if they could see the scar. I got five different stitches as a kid, so I don't know which one it is. But I was hurt, and I, not exaggerating, I could have bled to death laying in that bed. Like, I was pale. I couldn't walk. I bled so much. I had to throw my pillow away. Like, it was bad. And I would not ask for help. So stupid. So... Um, why didn't I ask for help? 
because I was proud. I was too proud to say I'd hurt myself. I was too proud to say I jumped up in the boat motor and, like, and I wasn't clever enough because I was in so much pain to think of a good lie. I was too proud to ask for help, and it cost me. And I would ask you right now, between you and the Lord, just open your ears to him for a second, but is there anyone in your life? Is there a behavior? Is there a moment of time that you've needed help in the last year or so, maybe today, and you're too proud to acknowledge that you need help, too proud to ask for it? Let that situation, that relationship, that behavior sit with you as we continue. Um, so a great weakness for us is to not ask for help, to pretend that we're okay. A second great weakness for us people is to actually acknowledge, recognize that we need help and ask for it. That's great. And then do nothing with the help that we get. You ever ask for help? Somebody gives you a great word of advice and you're like, that's, that's it. That's what I needed to do. I'm not going to go do that, right? How many times have we gotten advice, whether for school or faith? Oh, I really, really, really feel convicted from your message today, Justin. I've got to read my Bible. Well, here's a book to start with and let's pray about that. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. Next week, you read your Bible? Not yet. No. No, I just don't feel like it. I got school. I'm busy. You guys, we do sometimes acknowledge we need help, and we'll even go so far as to ask for it, but then we do nothing with it. And that's the second great weakness we're going to zero in on real fast before we get to our scripture. Um, Some of us, and as a student pastor, I see a lot of this, and I love all of you, and you just keep coming to me over and over. I don't care. I love that you feel safe enough to come to me. This is a safe place. But I've given some of you guys advice for years, for a semester, week after week, the same problem. Buddy, I've been there. I've done that. I went through that exact situation. You're small group leader. That's exactly what happened to them. Here's what you need to do. Here's what the scriptures say. And you guys are like, I'm going to do it. And then the next week, I'm like, how'd it go? And you're just like, I don't want to talk about it. Because you asked for that advice. And, you know, it's okay if you're weak. I'm weak too. But you didn't do anything with it. And then you're miserable. You're, you're worse off than before because you're like, I was so close, but then I didn't do it. And, you know, can't, God doesn't give second chances, does he? Yeah, he does. A common example of that from my life, um, another story that I remember of that situation for me, of asking for help and not using it. In my mid-20s, and you guys mostly know this about me, but I, I wrestled with weakness. I wrestled with alcoholism. It was genetic, it was spiritual, it was everything. It was like stacked against me that I would drink. It was in my family on both sides, etc. I knew I should be no business around alcohol or partying, but I did. Um, and I was too proud to talk to people about it. I was too proud to ask anyone for help, like for 10 years. I couldn't admit that I had a problem, that I needed help. But I talked to God about it all the time. The last five years of those 10 I had a relationship with the Lord. I would not tell my small group leader. I would not confess to my pastor, but I would talk to God, and I would say some things that I wonder might not be very familiar for you. I would say some things like, God, I know that this is bad for me. God, I am so sorry that I did that again. Um, Lord, that was the last time, scouts honor, however many fingers that is, You ever say anything like that to the Lord? I'm sorry. I know I messed up. I'll never do that again. Um, In fact, 
as I thought about that example today or yesterday when I was putting this together, I realized that was all I talked to God about. I didn't talk to him about blessings or talents or gifts or serving. All I talked to him about was my sin. And all I ever said to him was, I'm sorry. I know it was wrong. I'll never do it again. But what happened later that day? I would do it again. And how would I feel about myself after having confessed my sin to Jesus and swore? I would swear to him, which he says, don't do that. I would swear to him, I'll never do that again. And then I would do it again. How do you think I felt? Horrible. I started to hate myself. I've used this example before, but you guys, it was like, here's, I can't rip my Bible in half. I don't even know if I'm strong enough. Yeah, here's my soul. If these are important, sorry. Here's my soul, and every time I lie and say, I'll never do that again and do it, I would literally like tearing my insides in half until I felt like this, just broken, wrecked. And I thought it was my alcoholism that was destroying me. I was destroying me. So every time I would confess to God and then run back to my sin instead of Jesus, I would hate myself a little bit more. So that's my weakness. I still don't have anything to do with alcohol. But those are the two weaknesses we're going to talk about that I want you to bear in mind. And I want you to put, like, what's your weakness? But here's what they are. Two of our greatest weaknesses as people, refusing to, to admit, I need help. Or recognizing that we need help, asking for it, and then not using it. Okay? Refusing to ask for help or recognizing we need it, asking for it, and then not using it. Um, where are you this morning? Which one of those lines are you towing? Or just like, you're like in, like, oh God, I don't want to sink. Like, you're there. Do you recognize that you need help? Have you asked for it and you're not using it? Or, like me, like you won't even admit it, not even to yourself. So having that example from your life in mind, hopefully, um, let me ask you this. When we say, I'm fine, but we're not, or when we say, yes, I'll go do that, and we don't, we're lying, right? We're lying when we say, I'm fine, and we're not. And we're lying when we say, yes, I will do that. I will follow my conviction. I will heed the advice of my pastor who I trust and prayed with or my small group leader who's been there. Like, when we say, yeah, I'll go do that, and we don't, we're lying. God hates lying. He doesn't hate the liar, but he hates lying. My question for us is, who are we lying to the most when we say that? If you are not telling your family that you're hurt and you need help, you're lying to them, obviously. If you're not telling your friends that you're hurt and you need help, you're lying to them by omission. Or if you come to me or Brooke or Kaylin or Dwight or your small group leader or just even your spiritual friends and you say, I need help, and you get advice and you're like, yeah, I'll do that. And then you don't do it. You lied to, uh, yeah, I'll go do that. No, you, you didn't go do that. But who are we lying to the most in that instance? So there's a story about two people from the early church, right? The Acts 2 church. I hope you guys know what that means when I say that, the Acts 2 church or the Acts 2 community. Acts chapter 2 is the greatest, most beautiful example of what church, what Christian community is supposed to look like, should look like, can look like. It's the community that we try 
very hard to foster here. I will say real quick, side note, we can't do it alone. We need, we count on you to help us. But the Acts 2 church, the Acts 2 community, is built off of Acts chapter 2. It's down at the end. It says this, all the believers, which means everybody, the church, you, me, all the believers devoted themselves. It doesn't say they, you know, kind of went in. They kind of devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to coming and hearing the word, as you're doing right now, and obeying it. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It just means that they hung out. They did life together. They, they were friends. They worked their stuff out. They devoted themselves to sharing in meals. They ate together. It's a holy thing to eat together. They devoted themselves to prayer. I hope you guys pray for each other. I hope you pray for the people in this room you don't even know. Just think of their face and be like, Jesus, bless them. Jesus loves that. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to prayer. And as a result, that's it. Like, they hung out. They did life together. As a result, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles, their pastors, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, they met together in one place. We're doing that right now. They met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and then they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. Love that. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, which is communion. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, which we were just doing. And they enjoyed the goodwill, goodwill of all the people. They enjoyed the goodwill of believers and non-believers, people that hate Jesus, that killed him. We're still like, man, I wish I could be part of that. They love each other. I want that. They enjoyed the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what I want to see here this year more than ever before. I see that here. I want to see more of that here. Not from you, for you, for us. I want this kind of life. The kind of life that anybody that just went, got back from Teen Street or Guatemala or 220 that just knows being around your brothers and sisters, working together with singleness of heart is the best thing that you can do with your time, your talents, your resources. That's what I want. All the believers devoted to authentic community. And as a result, bless their socks off. That's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 5, three chapters later, there's like this little interruption in this awesome little community. We find two people in Acts chapter 5 that deviated. There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. Everybody sold their stuff and shared it. Like, if you saw one of your peers in need, would you love them enough to like sell something you own, like the shirt off your back to help them out? That's the kind of community these guys had. And Ananias and Sapphira, they were like that. They, they, have a, they have a house, and they sold it to provide for the other people in their community. That's awesome. I love that. There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. And then he brought the money to the apostles, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say he brought the money to the apostles. It says he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So they have a home, and they sell it 
to benefit the community. That's awesome. If that happened in here, I would make a video of you and I would show it to the world and be like, check out the students at Woods Edge. They took the money, let's say it's $100,000, and then they go to their pastor, their preacher, whatever. They go to their apostle. They go before the church and they say, look what we have done. We sold our house and this is all the money. But it wasn't. Let's say it was like $50,000. It's half. They sold their house and they only took half, but they said it was all, and that's the problem. Um, why did they lie? I don't know. I don't know how, why they lied. It doesn't say. I can speculate. I think they may have lied because they wanted to look good. They wanted to be like, check us out. Super holy. Yeah, I sold my house and gave all the money to the church. I, I think maybe some of that was in there. But I think another option is, Maybe they just didn't trust the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Which, that's the goal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, soul, and strength. They just weren't there yet. And let me just say, that's okay. That's totally fine that they weren't super saints from the get-go. Remember, Jesus just died on the cross, right? He just left earth. This is the first year of church as we know it. So it's understandable that they just didn't come to Jesus and like, start like calling down fire and healing people left like they're new believers and they just weren't there all the way yet um and it's okay if we don't fully trust god right away god says he's just looking for a little bit he's looking for willingness so it's okay if we don't fully trust god yet it's okay if your faith starts small and when i say it's okay if your faith starts small like if you could be a believer for the first couple years and it's okay if your faith is small god doesn't Expect perfection from you overnight. In fact, he doesn't really expect it at all. It's okay if in your faith you need to take baby steps for a while, for a season. It's okay. That's 100% okay, and it was 100% okay for Ananias and Sapphira that they sold their house and only gave half the money. What's not okay is they lied about it. They lied about it. Um, Ananias and Sapphira were weak in their faith, and that's okay, but they lied about it, and that's not okay. They lied to their friends and family. They lied to their pastors in front of the whole church and said, we're good. We're super awesome. Check it out. What happened as a result of that? Well, Peter said, there's no dialogue between one another. They sold their house. They gave the money and said, here's all the money. And immediately, Peter, filled with the Spirit, calls him out. Ananias, and it's just Ananias. Sapphira's not there yet. Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Buddy, you just lied to the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, why'd you lie to me? He didn't say, why'd you lie to all these people? He said, you just lied to God by pretending to be something, to be at some place in your faith that you're not. You kept some of that money for yourself, buddy. The property was yours to sell or not sell. Like, that was yours. And after selling it, the money, it was yours. You didn't have to give all of it. Nobody asked you to. God didn't say, you must all sell your houses and give me every dollar. That's not how he works. It's an invitation to participate. It's not a command that you have to do this. After selling it, the money was yours also to give away or to keep. Ananias, and you hear Peter's like 
He's not angry. He's sad for him. Ananias, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to me, buddy. You just lied to God's face. I love that phrase. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? I mean, Peter's calling Ananias out in love, but he says basically this. Ananias, buddy, right, I'm just going to stop you there. I mean, you just lied, but before you dig a deeper hole, which I don't even know if it's possible, you're pretending to be holy and you're not. And let me just tell you guys, it's okay if you're not perfectly holy, but it's not okay if to pretend to be. Peter's calling Ananias out and said, buddy, you're pretending to be strong, but you're weak. And it's okay if you're weak, but not if you're pretending to be strong when you're weak. He just called Ananias out and said, buddy, you know, you know the right thing you should have done just now. You did the opposite. And it's okay if we stumble, if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it perfectly, that's okay. But don't go saying that you did it. Because you're not lying to your friend or your family or me. You're lying to God. He's with us everywhere. He's in you. If you lie about anything ever, he's there. And this, I'll be honest, like with awe but more, this scares me. I've lied a lot. I've lied tons. And I look at this and I'm like, I should be dead. And I just count it as God's grace that I'm not. And I bet anything that every single one of us in this room is guilty of lying to God at some point or another. I'm glad I'm not Ananias. You think you're lying to me right now, Ananias, but you're not. You're lying to God. And how did Satan fill his heart? Well, I think it's simple. I think it goes back to the definition of weakness. Ananias was lacking strength, and he wouldn't admit it. He pretended he was stronger than he was, and as a result, he took a little sin... And he gave some room for Satan to get in there and mess things up. And Satan took that little sin and he filled his heart with it. Caused him to go and lie to dozens of people. His spiritual authorities. God. You think it's a little thing to tell a little white lie. You know it doesn't stop there. And if you give in, if you give action to those sinful behaviors, Satan will fill your heart. You'll become unable to control your own actions. I don't need to see your hands, but who has given in to temptation and feels like they have no control to say no to it anymore? That's what's happening. Was it a big deal that he lied to God? I don't know. Let's see. Ananias, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. The second Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor, and he died. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor, and he died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified, as I'm terrified when I read this. And then some young men got up, and they wrapped Ananias' body in a sheet, and they took him out, and they buried him. This is a simple question. Was this a big deal to the Lord that Ananias pretended to be something he wasn't? Yeah, it was. Because he died on the spot, so convicted, so gripped with the spirit of realizing how gravely he had erred and wronged the Lord in that moment. Lying to God is a huge deal. 
And I can relate because every single time, you guys, that I promised God, that was the last time, I'll never do it again, and yet went out and drank again or looked again or sinned again, I felt part of myself die inside. Can you relate to that? I think Ananias is physically, like this really happened. This is a dude that lied to his priest in front of the congregation and he was struck dead. Thank God that's not how he works all the time. But this is a message to us. When you lie to God, it's like part of you is dying inside. Um, and your life and your goodness and your giftings and the love God pours into you, whenever you ask for it, you're replacing that with guilt and shame, misery, hopelessness. That's not the enemy. That's not God. That's me and you choosing and if you've ever felt like that, guilty, ashamed, alone, like if you ended your life, nobody even noticed, like that's what's happening. You're lying to God. You're not acknowledging who he really is, Savior, Lord, friend, teacher, comforter. You're lying to God about who he is. You're lying to yourself about who he made you to be. Royalty, more than conquerors, beautiful, fearfully and wonderfully made. You're saying I'm weak, I'm a loser, I'm garbage, God can't help me, so I'm not even going to ask. And God's like, I'm just waiting for you to ask. When we lie to God, when we intentionally refuse to keep our promises to him, how many of you in this room, how many people have been in this room over the years that have sworn, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to pray for this person, I'm going to share my, and don't do it. It's a big deal to know the right thing to do and refuse to do it. I pray, Jesus, today on this Sunday service that you would give me an opportunity to share with Skip. And, like, Skip's at your house when you get home. And you're like, you want to watch the Olympics? And we just chicken out. And that's okay. But if you come back on Sunday and say, oh, yeah, I talked to him about Jesus. It was great. He's not interested yet, but he'll get back to me. Woo, watch out. What happens next? About three hours later, Ananias' wife came in, not knowing what had just happened, and Peter asked her, like, she walks into church, like, hey, and the pastor's like, everybody hold up, Sapphira, yo, come here for a second. Peter asked her, hey, was this the price that you and Ananias received for your land? You'd think knowing that you were lying about this and you walk into the room and he's like, uh, I, look, I know we talked about, is this what you paid? That you'd be like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. What did Sapphira do? Yes, that was the price. Sapphira, oh, girl, do you, you just lied to God. You were, you were just called out. You were just given an opportunity to tell the truth, and you lied anyway. So that you just lied two times. You just refused to admit that something was wrong. Because when you walk in, and you're convicted with your sin, if you're about to do this thing, and you start to feel, maybe I shouldn't, oh, I don't think, it's not going to feel good, I don't know. Like, that's God, like, giving you an out in the moment. Like, don't do it, oh, please don't do it. That's where Sapphira was. He was giving her a second chance. Tell the truth, you'll be fine. 
Own your stuff. You'll be fine. Admit you need help. You'll be fine. That's what Peter was doing. He threw her a lifeline with one of those little round suckers, right? And he's ready to pull her back in and rescue her. Sapphira, look, is that the price you received? Just tell me right now. You can come clean. It's okay. It's not too late. Yeah, that's the price we received. Sapphira, do you need help right now? That's what Peter was saying. What'd she say? No, I'm fine. And Peter said, how could you? How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? Sapphira, I love you, but the young men who just buried your husband are right outside those doors. And they're about to carry you out too. And instantly, she fell to the floor and she died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out. They buried her beside her husband in great fear. And I would say awe gripped, gripped the entire congregation and everyone else who heard what had happened. Big deal when we lie to the Lord. I'm going to invite the band up here, and i got a couple closing thoughts before we wrap up. There is so much in this passage that I could talk about. There is so much more we could teach on. But the main point I felt led to talk about this and share it with you today is this. This is the main point of the sermon, so listen to this. God is more concerned about us hiding our weakness than us being weak. Do you know that? God is way more concerned about the fact that you would lie about being weak, that you would pretend to be something you're not, than the fact that you're weak. And that is good news. That is great news. Why? Because God knows that every single person in this room right now, including me, definitely me, we're sick. We're spiritually sick. We're living on this round dirt ball separated from our true home in heaven. This is temporary. This is for a minute. And we get all wrapped up thinking, this is it. This is nothing. Heaven's waiting for us. An eternity better than you can imagine. And we're fooling ourselves down here thinking, I got a house and a car. Everything's fine. We're sick. We're weak. I am a weak man. Like, stupid weak. Like, if you knew how weak I was, you wouldn't listen to what I... I don't know why they let me up here to talk to you. I'm a weak person. We all, not some of us, every single person you know or ever will meet need a Savior. No one is without need of a Savior. No one in this room is without need for room for improvement. There are no perfect people in this room. If you think you got it together, think again. And there is so much freedom in that. I love knowing that. I love knowing there's no perfect people in here because you know what that means? I don't have to compare myself to you because you're garbage too. Beautiful, redeemable, like the fact that we are so weak and yet God uses us to do supernatural, amazing things blows my mind. It's awesome. I love being weak because when I'm weak and when you're weak and we admit we're weak, God is strong. God does stuff, and people look at your life, and you're like, there's no way that she could have done that. 
And she says, you're right. It was the Lord. When we're weak, it leaves so much room for God to do stuff that's awesome. We can just be along for the ride. Now, this is not the main point of the sermon, but I want you to know it. If this is your church home, or if you're considering it, or the just slew of people that are about to be rolling through here in the next few weeks when we have fall kickoff, know this about this place. You never have to put on a mask to come into this room. You never have to pretend to be something you're not when you're here. You are safe to be yourself. Funky and fruity and weird and all that. This is your safe place to be broken, to be weak, to be humble. You are welcome here. If you think you've got it all together, you're the one I want to talk to. I love that you're weak and broken. It makes me feel better because I'm weak and broken too. Um, For those of us that maybe are in a weak season right now, if you're having a tough time right now, know this. If you're weak, that's fine, but be honest about it. Be honest about it. If you are broken, if your life stinks right now, if people have died in your life, if people have disease in your life, if you cannot break through that sin behavior, that's fine, but be honest about it. If you know the right thing to do and just are having the toughest time doing it, that's totally, if, if you are just like, just keep hitting the wall on that behavior, I'm t- so fine with that. I judge you this much for that. But just be honest about it. And then maybe you're in this room and you're in a season of strength. You are feeling good. You're in the word. You're putting your faith in action. You're praying. Like, awesome, keep it up. But know this, don't, Don't pat yourself on the back. That's not from you. That's from the Lord. And he's giving you that strength for a purpose. If you're in a season of strength, you are here to help the people around you. What's the point if you're in a season of strength in your faith and you're way up here and all the rest of us are down here? We're called to be a community and do this together. If you're in a season of strength, encourage those who are discouraged. Help those who need help. Feed those who are hungry. And pray with those who are having a tough time. And I would really challenge you, watch out for pride. Mark chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says this, when the Pharisees, when those who were filled with pride saw Jesus eating with sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You know who the scum are here? It's like me and you. Why does he eat with those sinners, that alcoholic, that tax collector, that person that has the porn problem and everybody knows about it? Why does he eat with them? Jesus heard this and he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners. Know that you're a sinner. Know that you're broken. Know that you're weak. Embrace it. Accept it and you're going to get all the help you need. When I'm sick, like sick, sick, like when I got bit with that tick a couple years ago or when I have the flu or whatever, I don't wait. I run to the doctor, right? And when I get there, having admitted, Dr. Yao, I'm super sick. Give me a shot. Give me a prescription. He does. And when I take it, I get better. The same thing is true in faith. The same thing is true for you in this room. You are at the doctor's office right now. And if you are stuck in sin, you need to admit it. And you need to ask for some help from Jesus. He's waiting. 
for you to be honest. And if you get some help, if he answers a prayer, if he gives you a vision, if he gives you a scripture, if you ask me or Brooke or these guys for advice and we give it and your soul is like, that's true, for the love of God, do something with it. Follow that advice. We're not just making it up. So where's the good in being weak? It's super simple. God does not demand perfection. And you have been given permission to be weak. So, like, take the mask off. Lay your front down. Be weak. Be broken. Be honest. Come up here and throw your faces down and be like, I need help. That's beautiful. God is not looking for your sacrifice of, oh. He's looking for broken hearts. That's what he can work with. Because when your heart is broken, he can get in there and do some good work. We're going to respond in a second. We've got our communion. And that's just a reminder of like the links that Jesus went to to pay the price for us to be weak and hear from the Lord and walk out lives of faith. So you're welcome to take communion in a second. We've got our tithe boxes up here. I don't always impress upon you the importance of this, but you guys... If you have an allowance, if you have a job, bring the tithe and see if God doesn't bless you crazy ways, like that week. It's the only thing in the Bible he says, test me. You bring me a dollar and see if you don't find two in your pocket when you get home. Test me. You guys need to develop that habit before you go off to college. It's going to be way harder to do it then. And then, in addition to worship, I just want to lead us in a moment of prayer before I release these moments. You guys bow your heads. And just receive this. I'm going to walk you through some prayer points, but as I do, even if it's right now, I don't feel a greater concern that you listen to me as much as you talk to Jesus right now. But here's what I think you should talk to him about. If you realize that you're broken today, if you realize that you've been lying to God Maybe he's bringing up a particular moment in time. Right now, using Jesus' name, Jesus, touch my heart. If he touches you, everything changes. Invite Jesus to touch your heart. If you feel like you are tied up, tied down, enslaved, chained to sin, bad behavior. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. Ask Jesus right now. Invite him. Ask him to break your heart. Ask him to remove pride. Ask him for the courage and the boldness to admit, I am weak. I need help. He will help you today. your head still bowed, listen to this quick little scripture that I feel like the Lord has given us as his promise for right now, today. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and we are all poor, you guys. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, and we are all brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. And prisoners will be freed. 
He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against your enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, to all who mourn their sin, to all who acknowledge their weakness in this room right now, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And in your righteousness, students, you will be like great oak trees that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Jesus, help us be honest with you today, now, going forward. Help us to be weak, to be broken, to mourn our sin, to let our hearts be broken. I don't want to be strong anymore. I don't want to be tough in my own strength. I want to be sold out for you. I want to receive the help that you are begging me to take. And that cannot happen until I bend the knee. Would you help us receive these blessings, this freedom, your righteousness? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys come up and respond as you feel led. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.